So I said, well, if you're okay with me going it alone, I'm okay going it alone. And he said, we only need one to win. Let's go. I said, okay, let's go. I wasn't looking to be part of a lawsuit. I wasn't looking to be part of any legal action. I wasn't looking for anything. It, it came looking for me. I've told people, I said, who in their right mind would wake up one morning and say, you know, I think what I'll do today is sue the largest state in the United, in, in the nation and, 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 and sue the governor. Well, why don't I just, yeah, who's going to bring that kind of attention? That voice you just heard is the voice of Pastor Art Hodges, pastor of South Bay Pentecostal Church in sunny San Diego, California, where it's always 72 degrees Fahrenheit. And he joins me today on Simplify to answer the question I asked last week. Is this that? Is what we are seeing in America, is it persecution of the church? Is it targeting the church? Or is it something altogether different? I'm looking forward to you hearing what he has to say as he answers last week's nagging, gnawing question, is this that, on Simplify. Pastor Hodges, thank you so much for being on Simplify, for taking your time and sharing your expertise and experiences with us. I asked last week of our Simplify listening audience, is this that? Is what we're seeing in America, is it persecution? Is it targeting the church where specific edicts and ordinances specifically mention church, not being able to sing in church or chant or even recite the Lord's Prayer? Is this persecution or is it really, truly a genuine health concern? So thank you again for being on the show and for sharing your experience with us. Well, thank you for the question. <clears throat> and I think I shared with someone here this past week that up until just maybe uh, within the last few weeks, I've been very reticent to call this persecution against the church. And I've sort of termed it in or framed it in terms such as you know, it's the end times. We're all facing things. Um, everybody is uh, having difficulties and struggles. I came right from the U.S. border. I was just in a meeting right now with uh, Homeland Security, with uh, U.S. Border and Customs, <laughs> with San Diego Police. Uh, I was in a meeting with about 12 law enforcement from different entities. And uh and that's with reference to a uh, protest taking place this coming Friday night at the U.S. border that we are intimately in, in, involved with. And uh, but I was interacting with a lieutenant. In fact, he said, I saw you on the media and, and we got to talking and he brought up the lieutenant brought up. He said, you know, we're called out to protest. And he said, I was just on a protest of 3000 people. He said, nobody's wearing masks, nobody's social distancing. And we're told we can't do anything about that because it's a protest. But you cannot have a religious gathering of 200 people. Now, here's the police lieutenant telling me this. Um, so, yes, I, we, we've crossed the line now from it just being something that we're all dealing with because of a pandemic to it actually being an attack on the church. And I can lay out several reasons why I can now state that with some confidence. Uh, for example, one reason, I'm going to cite primarily California statistics, since I'm most familiar with California statistics, and that was the premise of your question anyway, at least part of it. Uh, in California, right now, the actual current rate of infection, which by the way, it's very hard to get this number. You can't hardly find the number of current rate of infection. What you can find is how many people have ever been infected <laughs> with COVID virus, but the current rate of infection right now in California is one 
in one hundredth of one percent. You, you, one one hundredth of one percent. That is the current rate of infection right now. The current rate of hospitalization with COVID, hospitalization with COVID is one one thousandth of one percent. One one thousandth of one percent. And the ICU rate right now, those that are in the ICU with COVID is three one hundred thousandths of one percent. Three one hundred thousandths of one percent. So the, the, the pandemic exigency nature of this whole thing that we've been facing, it's over. It's over. Now, that doesn't mean the virus is gone. It's still there. We're dealing with that. But the, the exigency nature, the, the, the nature of it that causes it to be such a rare uh, exception and emergency that would, that would uh, tr- I call it trample, but certainly get in front of our constitutional rights and guarantees a free exercise of religion, that has passed. In fact, that's been passed for, for a couple of few months now, but, but uh, they're still retaining and utilizing this data about COVID to, to try to, uh, well, in my opinion, it, it's, it's a power grab. It, it enables, it has enabled governors, our governor, for example, in California, Governor Newsom, it's enabled governors to declare an emergency, state of emergency, which gives them superpowers. It gives them really Pharaoh-like power, fiat. They rule by fiat. They, they don't have to run things by, by a Senate, by an assembly, through a normal process. They can just make a ruling. It becomes law. It's, it's really like the old kings or, or the old Pharaohs. That, I've made a statement and, and it's now law. And that's what we're operating under right now. And courts have granted governors these types of powers in extreme emergency situations, but they're very temporary and they're supposed to be very narrowly tailored. Well, you know, our 15 days to slow the spread, we're way past 150 days now. So, so we're way past that very narrow tailoring and, and uh, you know, the restrictions and what have you. And like the police lieutenant told me, he said, how is it right to have 3,000 people with no regulation whatsoever, and that's okay, but you can't have a religious gathering with 200 people. Now, actually, in California, you cannot even, in any church in California, you cannot gather with more than 100 people right now, or 25% of your building capacity, whichever is less, and that is only if you are in one of the favored counties, which there are only a handful of those in the entire state. In Southern California, for example, I work mostly with Southern California, and we have only two counties that are even open to that limited degree, San Diego County and Orange County. Every other county, including Los Angeles County, is closed. You cannot legally have two people in your building at one time. One of our larger churches, one of our larger United Pentecostal churches in Southern California, uh, would have a peak attendance of 2,500 on a given Sunday. They have an auditorium that seats, I don't know exactly, but between 1,000 to 1,500 people. They cannot legally have two people gather in that auditorium. And yet we've got airlines flying completely full. We've got the people packed in a very confined space, breathing the same air for hours at a time. Um, we've got factories operating at full capacity. We've got office buildings operating with no limitations at all. They're just admonished to practice you know, safe practices, no monitoring of that whatsoever. We've got, I just, I think, tweeted out last night or early this morning, we've got in ball games operating again indoors. And, and granted, uh, the, the games that happened here in California this weekend, granted, they did not have fans in the stands. But if you add up the numbers on the team and the support staff for that to happen, they had more on the field, twice as many on the field 
as, as the average church in America has in attendance. And, and uh, not only are they not wearing masks or spatial distancing, uh, they have all kinds of physical contact. They're, they're, they're swapping sweat and saliva and what have you. So, so yes, it's crossed the line. If, if churches in any way, if constitutional rights and guarantees were to be abrogated and that to be fair and right because of an emergency, then it would stand to reason that every other enterprise that's not even named in the Constitution would certainly be under that same restriction. But anytime you've got a single exception, and this is what Justice Kavanaugh pointed out in our uh, hearing there at the court, that anytime you've got a single exception to that, if churches are not included in the exception, that's the violation of the Constitution. Judge Kavanaugh is exactly, exactly right in that. And you mentioned Justice Kavanaugh. Obviously, he is a justice on the United States Supreme Court. How did a case from California end up on the docket in the United States Supreme Court? I was contacted by Salt and Light Council. This is a nationwide group that promotes, well, they promote a lot of things, but that they, they promote the biblicalvoter.com website and, and many other things that involve faith and freedom and politics and what have you. They contacted me and asked if I would be willing uh, to be a representative bishop of evangelicals in a legal matter that's being brought by the Thomas More Society uh, regarding opening churches in California and that I would represent as bishop for evangelicals. There would also be a Catholic bishop. There would also be a Mormon bishop, and there would also be a notable leading Jewish rabbi. So they would have four aspects of you know, religious faith representative. And uh, I, I did my due diligence and researched the attorneys and what have you and felt confident after that that I could be part of this. So I agreed to do it. Well, when it came time to file the lawsuit, by the way, the lawsuit was not filed until Governor Newsom announced his reopen plan for California and he left churches out of the reopen plan. He basically left churches in the final phase, which is when everything's, everything's opening up. He sandwiched churches between theaters and, and sporting events. And, uh, you know, as I commented on that, I'm sorry, Governor, uh, we are not entertainment and we're not a sport. Uh, church is essential. But uh, when he left us out of the reopen plan and we're opening even non-essential enterprises ahead of churches, that's when we filed the lawsuit. The same day he made that announcement of reopening but leaving churches out, we filed the lawsuit just within hours after his announcement. That was on a Friday. The next day, I received a call from our lead attorney, um, who is also lead attorney right now for John MacArthur, by the way, in Grace Community Church. It's press lately. But he called, he said, Bishop, I've got some bad news. He said, uh, we've lost our Jewish rabbi. Uh, when he said that, I, I, I thought the man had passed away. <laughs> I said, oh, we lost the Jewish. He said, I, I said, what, what did he die from? He said, no, no, he didn't die, but, but he had to vacate uh, the, the lawsuit. And I said, well, why? He said, well, I, his higher ups told him that he had to vacate the lawsuit. He said, that leaves only you. He said, are you okay going it alone? And I said, well, are you okay with me going it alone? He said, I'm confident in you, but I, we, we only need one to win. I said, well, if you're okay, I'm okay. I must admit that'd be a little terrifying. It's one thing to go alone to the mayor to ask if you can set a snow cone stand up on the square. It's another thing altogether to go alone, filing a lawsuit against the governor of the state of California. I wasn't looking to be part of a lawsuit. I wasn't looking to be part of any legal action. I wasn't looking for anything. It, it came looking for me. I've told people, I said, who in their right mind would wake up one morning and say, you know, I think what I'll do today is sue the largest state in the, United, in, in the nation and, and, and sue the governor. Well, why don't I just, yeah, who's going to bring that kind of attention? 
And, and so I, yeah, I was not seeking this, but, but I, I feel that it's one of those open doors that the Lord said in Revelation 3, he's going to set before us that no man can shut. And the Lord's opening many doors across many fronts and avenues. This meeting I just came to from right now at the borders is one of those doors. Lord's opening many, many doors. And, and here's what's notable about this. And I love this. God is doing this for apostolics. He's doing this for people who've been faithful to his word, faithful to his name, faithful to the experience, the Pentecostal experience, the apostolic doctrine. It's amazing how God is taking men and women of faith and putting them in strategic places and positions in these end times. And I, and I know that's what it's about. It's not about an individual. It's not about a personality. It's not about a name. That's not what it's about at all. Well, it's about a name, but it's about the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the name that it's about. And, and, and I love the fact that God's, God's doing this. So, so that's how we got involved with this. So we filed our brief in the federal district court. They fast-tracked it. And so we had a hearing uh, within a week, and then we had a ruling within a week, and the ruling was against us. We kind of knew it was going to be against us because they changed judges on us at the last time, and the judge that they assigned to us, I was told by our attorneys, is the most liberal judge in San Diego County, a judge that literally transferred here from San Francisco <laughs> to be on this court, and they moved our case to this particular judge. Uh, so we had our hearing. The judge ruled against us. We immediately filed an appeal to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. They accepted that. They fast-tracked that. We had another week or so, and uh, they came out with a ruling. That's a three-panel judge. Uh, one judge was a Clinton appointee. One judge was an Obama appointee. And one judge was a Trump appointee, in fact, only on that Ninth Circuit for one year. We filed concurrent with our appeal. We filed an emergency injunction for a TRO, a temporary restraining order, basically saying that the state would need to open the churches while the case is being heard is what we were requesting. And uh, we lost that on, again, a narrow two-to-one decision. The judge that voted in favor of us was the Trump appointee, by the way, Judge Dennis Collins. And he wrote, in the, in the words of our attorneys, a scathing 18-page dissent that's in our favor, uh, a strong dissent, so strong, in fact, that later when we were before the Supreme Court being considered, uh, some of his dissent is quoted in the Supreme Court's dissent as well. So uh, we lost that. We immediately appealed to the Supreme Court uh, on a Friday. Uh, uh, Justice uh, Elena Kagan, who is over our, our district, the Ninth District, um, she received that to her credit. She didn't have to receive it. She didn't have to consider it. She could have ruled on it herself or she could have passed it to the whole court. I give her credit. She passed it to the whole Supreme Court. So the entire Supreme Court weighed in on, again, not the full merits of our case, but on our emergency injunction request for a TRO, a temporary restraining order. And again, that lost by the narrow five to four decision. Uh, Judge John Roberts was the swing vote, as we've seen. He's been the swing vote here in several religious liberty cases recently, and unfortunately swinging to the wrong side in most of these cases. But uh, uh, the, the justices that, that voted in our favor, again, wrote quite a rich and, and strong uh, dissent in our favor, made some strong points, uh, such as uh, a pandemic does not mean that constitutional rights and guarantees are set to the side. And just a lot of statements. I think Justice Kavanaugh made a statement uh, such as, how can the state take the position 
that the same people who are not safe to go to a church, those same people are safe to go to their place of work and business and so forth and so on. Uh, so a lot of great statements were made there. But of course, we did lose that decision. So it bumped us back down to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, where our case is pending. And uh, so many things are happening so fast. Amendments needed to be made because the governor comes out every month, sometimes every week with new rulings. And so that has to be addressed in the case. So uh, it's unusual that so many amendments would be made once you're at the appellate level. But in our case, that's been allowed, both for the state and for us. So we are right, we've right now finished amending and we're back before the judge waiting for a ruling any, any day, any hour now. And, uh, and, and then the amendments will be bumped back up to the Ninth Circuit and the Ninth Circuit will hear the, the entire case for the first time, will argue the entire case. And then pending their decision, if we do not get a favorable decision, then we'll be back before the Supreme Court and this time arguing the entire case before the Supreme Court. So we're praying, uh, you know, whether it's our case or another case, we don't really care you know, whose it is, but somebody, somebody in these United States of America, they need a case decided by the Supreme Court. That's the highest court of the land. And it needs to settle the issue once and for all, because our churches are operating, well, they're not allowed to operate in many respects, or if they do operate, they're doing it in jeopardy of the law. Every one of our churches that's having churches, we know it, are violating the law right now in California. If we baptize somebody, we're breaking the law to baptize somebody. I mean, every time you turn around, anything we do is violating the law. And most of our churches don't even own their building or their property. And so they're at the mercy of their landlords as to whether or not they can even function. And many landlords aren't willing to take that, that risk, the, the legal risk, the uh, you know possible loss of insurance or lack of coverage by insurance. There's a lot of factors involved. I, I see people on social media responding, saying things like, you know, bless God, have church no matter what they say. Well, we all feel that way, but there's more dynamics involved that people don't really consider. You know, for example, a church that doesn't own their building or property, if they say, bless God, we're having church anyway, well, then the landlord throws them out. And now they have no place to meet or go. So there, there, there's a lot involved here. We know it's a spiritual battle and we know the enemy, we know what the enemy is and we know what the enemy's up to. And we know the end is to take out the church. I mean, here's where we are. We're in the end times. The only thing standing between the Antichrist being revealed and assuming his role of world leadership and authority and power, the only thing is the church. The church is the only thing standing between him and, and what, what his agenda is. And so that's why there's this attack on the church. But of course, our confidence is Jesus is the first one to use the word church in the Bible. In Matthew, he said, I will build my church upon this rock. We know he's talking about the rock of Revelation, mighty God in Christ, and all that that entails. And he said, the very gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. So we know we're going to win in the end, but it doesn't mean it's not without a fight. Hell is fighting the church tooth and nail, fighting the church. But uh, so that's where we are in California. And I think other states as well, California maybe is under, well, I know they're under the gun a little more than most states are. I really do believe you and California are the tip of the spear as far as what could be coming eastward. But at the same time, and while many in this part of the country, the Midwest, the Bible Belt, and other states, look at what's happening in California with worry and concern about persecution, when we read history, whether it was Domitian, Diocletian, Nero, whomever it was, 
Anybody who tried to press or persecute the church ended up spreading the church farther and faster than the church could have or would have spread on their own. On one hand, I almost feel sorry for the devil, but I don't. Because if he leaves the church alone, the church grows gradually. If he presses and persecutes the church, the church grows exponentially. He can't win no matter what he does, but he sure does give it a fighting chance. God's in control. We know that. It's his battle. It's not our battle. It's his battle. We're just to, we're just to do what he's called us to do and stand for right and, and, and do it with love. Do it with the spirit and attitude you know, of, of love and cooperation. We don't need to be defiant. We don't need to be identified with the you know, protesters and get violent and, and all of that. You were protesting, but in a different, in a different way. Um, this border uh, thing, meeting I came from, it, it, it's a protest, but uh, the police and everybody involved realize it's a different kind. But we know we're in a spiritual battle, and so we know the enemy does want to take out our churches, our ministers, our ministries, our people. We need to be mindful of that. This is a time to pull together, support one another, just, I remember J.T. Pugh years ago, he said, you know, it'd be wonderful. He said, it'd be wonderful if all of our ministers were also Christians. He said, that would be wonderful. <laughs> well, I, I pray all our ministers will be Christians. What a wonderful world that would be indeed. <laughs> those points that were made in the dissents, both from the Ninth Circuit and the Supreme Court, those are salient points. What is the response of those who uphold this position that Churches should close, albeit businesses and even recreation, entertainment, sports, all of those protests. Those remain open, but why specifically churches? What's the reasoning for that? Well, uh, I'll answer that question. Let me say this just before I answer the question. At the Supreme Court level, interestingly enough, the four known very liberal justices made zero comment, no comment whatsoever. And uh, they just simply said, denied, no comment. So it'll be really interesting once a full case is heard, when they can't really just say no comment, they're going to have to, you know, write some opinions. It'll be interesting to see what their answers are. But I can tell you what the answers are given now by the opposing side, by the attorneys and what have you. Uh, so here are the things they say, several things. Number one, they say that at church, the difference is that at church, people are static. That is to say, they're not like in a, say at a Walmart store, Home Depot store, uh, what have you, that people are just passing, you know, like passing ships in the night, but that they're congregating. They're static, they're stationary. And uh, they're in this confined space where that the virus might, uh, they might be more exposed to virus because of that. Now, that being said, we've got experts that take the opposite position. And, uh, it, oh, by the way, the Lord has added amazing experts to our case. We have, I've lost count now, probably uh, at least a half a dozen, maybe more, eight or ten experts that have joined our case. I believe all of them at no charge. And these are some of the leading experts in the nation. We've got leading professors from Stanford University, Harvard University, that are part of our case, our expert witnesses, and they... Uh, some of them have testified in more court cases than any other in their field. I mean, these are notable people, and they're, they're taking up our cause, and they're not coming, of course, from the religious and the constitutional perspective we are. They're coming from the quote-unquote science and data. Um, so they're trying to show that there's actually more exposure when you go to a store that while there may not be more people there at one time 
at the same time that are in a church, there are many more people that are passing through that store uh, every day, and they are handling hundreds of products <laughs> and putting them back on the shelf. You know, who knows how many people have handled a product that you pick up. And uh, so they're, they're bringing all that science and all that data, and they're showing that it's actually safer to be at a church than one of these other places. But so there's arguments on both sides. It, it goes back and forth. Uh, I'll say this for our particular local church and every pastor in church is self-determining. And I respect that. I'm going to state that I am not here to tell any pastor how they should operate or any church, how they should operate right now. Every pastor in church has to make those own decisions for themselves. So I'm not trying to tell anybody how to do things, but here's how we've done it. Here's the path we've chosen to take. I've chosen to take the path of not contesting uh, things like masks and temperature taking and, uh, you know, spatial distancing, things of that nature. Uh, to me, that argument belongs in another arena, and that can be argued. And, you know, I've got opinions on that. But to me, that's not really relevant to our position as whether we should be allowed to have church or not. So, so the path that I've chosen to take is we will comply with every CDC guideline. We will comply with every state and county health guideline as long as it's a universally applied guideline as long as others are also complying, as long as it's not just for the church and you say only the church has to do this and, and nobody else has to do it. Well, that's blatantly, even if we weren't in the constitution, that's blatantly wrong. I think anybody can see that. So we are complying. So I am, I am happy to be able to say I'm in regular communication just about weekly with my city council members. They know our position where we are. I try to keep them abreast of what's going on. Um, and, and they know this. Our county officials know this. I've said this publicly on the media numerous times, and that is this. If you come to our church, you literally will be at the safest place you can be at outside your own home, because we are not only applying all the CDC guidelines, all the state county health guidelines, we're going beyond. And so I preached to my church when Jesus said, if you're compelled to go one mile, go to. Well, here's a perfect time to apply that. So they are compelling us to do things, even though we don't maybe agree with everything they're compelling us to do. We're going to do it. They're compelling us to do it. And you know what? We're going to go beyond that. So one of my daughters, my youngest daughter is a nurse at a local hospital. And she told me, she said, dad, your, your entry requirements for church are stricter than those in our hospital. Your intake procedure is stricter than the hospitals. I said, well, good. That's a, that's a great, I will use that in court. <laughs> what a great testimony for the apostolic church. Exactly. So, so to me, by taking that approach, we've kind of taken a weapon out of the hands of the enemy. And, and I'll tell you where this really serves us well, in the court of public opinion. Now, now you could take the position you know, we don't care about the court of public opinion, but I say we should care about the court of public opinion. No, not to the degree that we're going to compromise our convictions in order to satisfy the public, but think about this. I mean, who are we called to reach? We're called to reach the public. And so we don't want to close off avenues to reaching the public. I just came from this meeting, like, like I mentioned, with uh, Homeland Defense and, and, and Border uh, patrol and customs and police, all these different people. And, and, and I made this statement in our meeting. I said, listen, I said, you, you, you know, most of you probably see me on the media. And I said, I stand by the statements we've made. 
that we will put in place every safety protocol that there is right now regarding the coronavirus. So we're not here saying, you know, hey, we're exempt from, you know, practicing safe measures or we're looking for a shortcut. No, it's not about that. So now it purely comes down to the test of religious freedom. And that's where we want the battle to be on the test of religious freedom. So how can you say, this is ironic, how can you say that the Constitution guarantees the right to protest, but doesn't guarantee the right to gather for religious assembly? Well, you can't say that. Number one, the Constitution doesn't even mention protest, but we know where it's coming from. It's coming from the right to assemble and the right to uh, redress grievances. So, so from that stems this you know, implied uh, constitutional guarantee to protest. It's not specifically stated, but it's implied. But guess what? The free practice of religion is not just implied. It is explicitly stated in the Constitution. And it's stated first. It's stated number one. Everything hangs on this. Everything hinges from this. This is my message to the public. You may or may not be religious, but you should be on our side because every freedom in America hinges on this religious freedom. That's why the nation was founded in the very first place. That was the primary principal reason why America was founded. That's what makes America exceptional, not capitalism. Capitalism stems from religious freedom. It, the, the American exceptionalism is that it's a nation that was established for people to freely worship the God of the Bible. No other nation was established on that basis except America in modern times. And so that's what American exceptionalism is. If, if that's the linchpin, that's, that's the cornerstone, if you will, of every freedom in America. So if that freedom goes, every freedom goes. Personal freedoms go, individual freedoms go. They all go if religious freedom is lost. So all Americans should rally behind this cause. So that's our message to, to the masses. Excellent. So what can churches and Christians do here in the Midwest? For example, here in Ohio, we don't have the strict restrictions like they have in California or even the prohibitions to have church in church or even, and this one surprised me the most, in your home to have a home Bible study is according to Prosecutor Dowd that it was illegal to do so. What can we do to help promote and rally and be there for our brothers and sisters in California? Number one, you need to thank God every day. <laughs> that, that you, you don't Jesus. have restrictions. Yes, yes. It, it's, it's like the old adage, you don't really value something until you don't have it any longer. And uh, so this has been a wake-up call for us, which is not entirely a bad thing for us to really value and appreciate the religious liberty that we've so long taken for granted in America, as we should be able to take it for granted. We, we should be able to, but we no longer can take that for granted. So number one, truly, thank God every day just for the blessing that you can freely exercise your faith without government intervention or restriction of any kind. Just thank God for that. Number two, pray. I, I really do believe that Prayer is a vital part of this answer. This battle will not be won without prayer. Now, I know we've got to do more than pray, but, but we've got to pray. We've got to pray. So daily pray. I'm, I'm challenging. In fact, this is a great opportunity for me to challenge everyone that is uh, going to view this uh, Zoom conference. I'm challenging you to join our million-member brigade we have a goal of 1 million people to join a brigade of prayer warriors, and we're calling them the Ninth Hour Prayer Brigade. 
And that is to set your phone, your alarm, your smart device, whatever. Set it for the ninth hour every day. The ninth hour of the day on the Jewish clock is 3 p.m. So set it for 3 p.m. local. And when that alarm goes off at 3 p.m., wherever you are, just pause. And, and, and even if it's very brief, pray. Pray for, number one, religious liberty in California and America. Pray for religious liberty, number one. That's what's under the greatest threat right now. And number two, pray for whatever God lays on your heart. So, so, so many things happen at the ninth hour that are significant. Jesus died at the ninth hour. The, the uh, temple veil was rent from top to bottom at the ninth hour. Um, the lame man laying at, you know, sitting at Gate Beautiful was healed at the ninth hour. Cornelius received his angelic visitation uh, to send for Peter, who would come and preach words that he and his whole house would be saved. That happened about the ninth hour. Many things happened at the ninth hour. And, and the, the Jews practiced the ninth hour prayer at the temple like forever. And, uh, and, and the new Christians continued that. They even continued going to the temple at the ninth hour to pray. Even the apostolics did. So we're asking for a million people to join right now, join the ninth hour prayer brigade. And uh, so that's the thing you can do specifically. And, and then beyond that, um, uh, just, just pray that God will help us win these court battles. We really need to win. We really need to win at the Supreme Court level. Someone needs a win at the Supreme Court level uh, to settle this issue once and for all. Because the Supreme Court is the only authority in the land that governors have to submit to. <laughs> it, it's the higher authority to governors. And so the, even the president would have to submit to a ruling by the Supreme Court. Unfortunately, in our case, the president is, is in our favor. He's, he's on our side. And um, in fact, we've had tremendous support. I'll just say this. We've had tremendous support from the White House. We've had tremendous support from the uh, Department of Justice. And, and believe it or not, this is amazing. We've actually had a fair amount of support from the media. Uh, we've been interviewed by, by nearly every major network. Um, ironically enough, not all of those have aired. CNN interviewed me for one hour, and they've not aired one minute. <laughs> that, that one hour, that's pretty interesting. Indeed, I yes. was sharing that with another network. And I said, why would a network go to the, I didn't contact them. They contacted me. Why, why would they go to the effort to, to contact me, set up an interview? This happened over several days. We had the interview, one hour interview, and they wouldn't hear one minute. Well, this other major network said, well, you know why. I said, tell me why. They said, because they couldn't spin what you had to say to their, to their liking. <laughs> so they just, well, that's very interesting. Um, so, so we need to pray that we get a major victory at the Supreme Court level. And uh, there, there's so many things that are happening. We're not discouraged at all. We have people from our churches that work for the counties as well. So, so we do get some inside information. And uh, here's the good news. The good news is that even in places like Los Angeles County and San Diego County, uh, we, have, we have some apostolic people that are, that are working there. And and there are people, people of faith, other, other faiths and religious, you know, denominational persuasions that are working there. The word I got this weekend is that in Los Angeles County, that's our largest county here in California, Los Angeles County, 90% of the people that work in health and what have you for the county, 
they are not in favor of what the governor's doing and they're not in favor of, of, you know, putting these restrictions and fines and citations on churches. Uh, one of our UPC churches in Los Angeles County has now received five citations and five fines. And uh, we're fighting that. We're helping them to fight that. Uh, we have an attorney now working with them, but, um, uh, the good news is that, you know, don't paint all of government with a broad brush either. Government's made up of individuals, and they have divergent views as well. Just unfortunately, in California, there's a particular party, it's the Democrat Party, that has what's called a supermajority in California. So literally, um, there is nothing that the Republicans can pass or get through in California because there's a supermajority of Democrats. And the unfortunate thing about that is that the Democrats tend to, again, every individual is different. I'm not speaking against any individual, but speaking in general terms, the Democrats, at least in California, tend to not be as defending religious liberty as what the Republicans would be doing in California. And uh, so that's kind of what we're, what we're up against. So we, we've tried to work with this governor. I tried to reach out to him personally before we ever filed our lawsuit. I have a, we have a mutual friend. And my mutual friend was having a private meeting with the governor. And uh, I gave him a handwritten letter that he hand delivered to, uh, not handwritten, uh, personally produced, it's produced on a, you know, typed out, but, but uh, handed him a letter, handed him a personal letter, um, appealing to the governor. The governor received that, the governor did not respond to that. Uh, I then joined with a coalition of pastors and religious leaders up and down California. Together we represented, we're not sure exactly, probably between Five and 10,000 churches in California, large coalition. And uh, we appealed to the governor. We started working with the governor's staff. And um, now here's a great uh, sideline. The governor's office asked us for protocols to reopen churches. They said, we don't understand churches. We know how to reopen car lots and, and stores and uh, medical facilities. We don't know how to reopen churches. And so we had a meeting in Los Angeles uh, probably 20 leading pastors and religious leaders. I was part of that meeting. And I brought with me our protocols that are produced by the UPCI and the new NACLC. And that booklet that they produced, I brought that to the meeting. That booklet, they didn't know it was produced by UPCI. I knew that. Uh, they utilized that booklet as the model to develop the standards presented to the governor to be used in the state of California to reopen churches. So United Pentecost Church had a hand in that. But that being said, uh, we presented all of that to them and they used very little of any of that. They just pretty much discounted all of our effort and work. So we tried working with the governor, you know, following the Matthew 18 principle, uh, don't escalate things to the top, just, you know, start at the bottom, work your way up. We didn't receive satisfaction. So we finally said, okay, we've got to appeal to a higher authority and that higher authority is the courts, and that's how we ended up there in the courts. But uh, thank you for your prayers. Just be in prayer. Some of our churches are really struggling if they're not able to still congregate. My most recent survey of our SoCal district churches, we have over 100 churches of record in the Southern California district. Actual operating congregations is probably uh, closer to 135. But um, uh, of all of our churches in Southern California, about 50%, half of them are having indoor services, even though in most instances, they're not actually legally permitted to, they're doing it anyway, just trying to kind of fly under the radar. Uh, about 30% of our churches have moved 
to outdoor services, which is permitted, outdoor services is permitted, as long as we wear masks, practice spatial distancing is permitted. And about 20% of our churches are still fully online, not outdoors or indoors. And these would be those churches that are renting facilities and they won't allow them to have church indoors or outdoors. And uh, so it really is a strain on our, on our churches. Um, one thing I will say, I don't know of a single one of our United Pentecostal churches that has closed down or is in jeopardy of, of closing down as a church. And, and that's a miracle testimony right there. I know of numerous, in fact, one denominational leader here in Southern California that I've worked with said they expect two to 300 of their churches to close permanently, permanently. So, you know, who knows? Maybe God is actually using this to close down churches that are not going to embrace truth and, and allow churches that are preaching and promoting truth to remain open. I don't know what all God's doing or how or why, but, but I know he's doing it. I know he's involved here. He's the one opening doors. He's, so, so we have great faith and confidence. We're, we're, we're thrilled that, that, that something good and great is going to happen. But that being said, it, it, it is a trial. It really is a trial right now for our churches, our pastors, and our members here in California. And we just, we appreciate the prayer. We appreciate even being able to be on a program like this, the fact that you would have this kind of interest and expose your audience uh, to the special needs that we have right now. Um, you know, it's us today. It, it, it might be you tomorrow. And, yes, sir, and so we're, right. we're all in this together. Uh, our concern is that if the government gets comfortable being able to take away religious liberty, I think this is really a test. It, it really is. I, you know, personally, I, I think it's a test for the, for the great tribulation, the Antichrist. I really feel that's what it is. But uh, uh, so I, I think it's a test for that. And so no doubt, if they can get away with taking away religious liberties, doing it under the guise of an emergency, a pandemic, what have you, um, then who's to say what's next? And who's to say what restriction comes next? So we all need to be in this and, and, and fight right now and stand for our faith, not just our faith, but our, our liberty to operate and practice that faith. We all need to be in this together. It's all of our battle. It's all of our battle. Yes, it is. And uh, we know we're going to prevail in the end. One way or another, yes, we're we going to prevail. And if this is indeed a test for the Great Tribulation and for the revealing of the Antichrist, that just means we are so close to the coming of the Lord. We're right there. And I'm excited we are. about the coming of the Lord. Amen. Brother Hodges, thank you so much for being on Simplify and for sharing your story with us and with all of our listeners. I thank you for your time. Thank you for being willing to take on this fight. I know this is taxing on your, your family, your health, the church, and certainly on your putting yourself into the crosshairs of the enemy. But I know God's protecting you. And I'd like to pray, if I may, that the Lord would continue to use you and open the doors for you and bless the work that you're doing there in California. Thank you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for Brother Hodges, and I thank you for what you're doing through him. I thank you, God, for using him, his voice, his influence. I plead the blood of Jesus over him. I pray for protection. God, keep your hand upon him. Don't let evil befall him. Continue to open up doors for him. Continue to give him influence with others who have power and influence and are able, able to make the decisions. I pray, God, you would take up the fight for him when he needs to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, let him know. And when he needs to charge in and fight, let him know. Give him wisdom. I pray for these cases. I pray for these churches who are needing to be able to assemble. I ask you, Lord, to fight for us. Go before us. I pray you would fight this battle and we will give you glory. We will give you thanks. Unify us. Knit us together. 
I pray to serve you and make disciples all at the same time. We pray this all for your namesake. In Jesus' name. Jesus. Amen. Amen. Brother Harry, may I share one more thing that people can do? Of course. Absolutely. Register to vote. Yes, yes. That's right. And encourage others to register to vote and, and vote biblically. And, and I would promote the website biblicalvoter.com. Biblicalvoter.com. I believe there are voter guides there for just about every state. And on biblicalvoter.com, there is a document that I wrote. I just rewrote that for 2020, contrasting the party platforms. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not promoting a party. But contrast these party platforms. It's revealing. You can look at that document. And I covet your prayers. I've been asked to come to Washington, D.C. And, and present that in Washington, D.C. on September 27. Um, on, and on well-versed following uh, – Franklin Graham's prayer walk and the return and with Jim Garlow's well-versed and they'll be filming that. So I covet your prayers for that, but we need to get involved. Everybody, if every person that believes in the God of the Bible would register and vote biblically, we could turn this politically and legally, we could turn this nation back to God and back to its, back to its religious liberty roots. And we, we need to do that. So at least get engaged to that degree. So thank you. Absolutely. Check out biblicalvoter.com for biblical values to vote, what the Bible has to say, as well as, and I've just started reading Jim Garlow's book, Well-Versed, on your recommendation. Excellent book dealing with issues, not just political, but moral issues and what the Bible has to say about it. It speaks to all of those issues because God's concerned about all of those issues. Thank you again, Brother Hodges. May God bless you. May God bless SoCal. May God bless South Bay. Thanks for being on Simplify. You're welcome. God bless you. Thank you for having us. Pleasure. And thank you, our Simplify listeners, for allowing this different type of podcast episode, but allowing us to take a very honest look at what is happening in our world, understanding at the same time, even if this is that, and even if this is persecution, to try to shut down or target the church, God will have a church in the midst of persecution. God will have revival. Only God could orchestrate that, but he is. I'm looking forward to next week. I want to share with you a devotion called Two Days. It's one of my favorite quotes of all time, and I'll share with you what it means. I look forward to sharing that with you, and always look forward to walking closer with Jesus as we walk through Simplify.